have already mentioned to me, they were concerned by the bollards and the rope being up here that we might have been having photos with Sandra or something afterwards. But anyway, it's part, part of where I'm talking to uh, this morning. David, where's my name? Part of the pastoral team here. And uh, glad that you've been able to uh, join with us if you're visiting here. And uh, today is the, the start of Advent in the Advent calendar. And uh, so we'll have a series of messages that will take us through that. But I just want to read uh, to start with these three verses from uh, Titus chapter 2, verses 11, 12 and 13. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. And I'm just going to uh, look at those uh, three verses this morning because the tradition behind the wreath was that there were a number of candles, four in particular, peace, uh, hope, peace, joy and love, and they were each lit the, Sunday, uh, le- the Sundays leading up to, uh, to Christmas. And then the centre one, a fifth one, was the one that was representing Christ. So this morning, as it were, we will light that first candle, uh, the candle of hope, as we now uh, head towards Christmas. The Bible, in fact, has a lot to say about hope, but I think before we go to where the Bible, uh, what it has to say about hope, uh, we actually have to look at distinguishing uh, the word itself. In our English language, often attached to hope uh, is the word doubt. Uh, I hope it doesn't rain. I hope I win the lotto. Or my mum would used to pray, I hope if she was ever given one, uh, I hope I don't. And while we were hoping we would, but uh, she was praying that we, we wouldn't. But hope has this, um, this doubt that's normally attached to it. But when we come to a biblical sense of hope, uh, the way that it's usually translated in both the Old Testament and in the New Testament is, uh, is, is the meaning of confidence and security. And the concept of doubt is not attached to it it's an assurance and so on so when we talk about hope this morning uh, you'll see the times when I talk about a an English meaning of the word hope but predominantly it's about a biblical understanding of the word hope and what I'm hoping hoping to do uh, what what I'm planning to do and you guys probably can't see it over there but this uh, bollard says hope past this one says hope present hope future and what I want to do is move between uh, those three, the past, uh, future, and I'll come back to present. Hebrews 11.1 1 actually says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Summarising the Christian faith. And when it comes to answering the questions that sit in all of humanity's heart about the desire for hope and for peace and for joy and for love. Our world is looking for those in all the wrong places. And as Christians, we believe uh, that those are found uh, within a knowledge and understanding of who God is, his promises and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a Christian, hope is never based on wishful thinking or, or positive feelings or even how much faith 
uh, we have. It's based on the reliability of God and who he is and his character. So I guess in a little bit this morning, what I want to do is a little bit like uh, Rob and I, uh, we've been to the Grand Canyon once and we had a team of young people who were doing ministry in the US with many years ago and we'd driven through the night during winter and we'd got up to the rim of the Grand Canyon but it was pitch black, so dark that you'd go like that with your hand and you couldn't see it. And so we knew somewhere out there was the Grand Canyon. And then when those first shafts of light came through in terms of dawn, it just went bang and just it was inspiring. It was incredible. It was awesome. The expanse of the Grand Canyon. And in a sense, what, what, what I want us to do is to step back this morning from the, the little worlds that we live in, the challenges and the issues and so on, which are real and exist and so on, and as it were, stand back and just let this, the shaft of light of God's word just open up a panorama for us that where hope from the past right through to the future uh, it brings some encouragement to us this morning. In fact, some have likened it uh, uh, to a tapestry. And before, I've actually have referred to uh, the scarlet thread of salvation that weaves its way through history. Uh, well, maybe using that same concept, we could look at the gold thread of hope that weaves its way from past through the present and to the future. So that's, that's what I'm hoping to achieve this morning. So this one over here, you guys can't see it, but it says hope past, and uh, let's, uh, let's have a little think about that. Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God, and, what, and, and I will speak my way maybe across here, so I, I will be moving. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. The grace of God, three, there's three things that we're going to look at there to take note of, has appeared and offers salvation to all See, time and time again this morning during my message, you'll hear me say that hope is about promises and hope is about a person. And we're going to look at some of those promises. When I conduct a wedding, at the heart of a service are promises. And those promises, if they're in a Christian setting, are generally done between friends and family and God as a witness. But I remember one this, this one time I was actually videoing a wedding and uh, thinking to myself, and using the English word hope, I hope this marriage makes it. I hope it makes it. Because they were making promises there that I already knew had red flags that were sitting around them. And in this case, you know, hope is dependent on the reliability of the one that are making the promises. That is with all of our marriages, uh, those promises that we make. But when I talk about uh, hope here at Christmas time, as I've already said, we're talking about a biblical understanding of hope, the confidence and assurance that we have that's based on the promises made by someone, God, who is reliable and trustworthy. For the grace of God has appeared. It says there in Titus. Jesus coming uh, as a baby may have been, is what we would generally call, and this is the wreath and so on here, let's call this the first advent, it's known as the first advent, and the candle of hope uh, was lit uh, in terms of how we use the wreath and the candles and so on. But the grace of God, and it says here, the grace of God has appeared. 
But the fact is the grace of God existed long before it appeared. So we understand it in terms of the Christmas Advent, that the grace of God appeared in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what does that grace look like prior to that? In fact, what we need to do is go past this one and, and head into uh, eternity past. Let's look at 2 Timothy 1 verses 9 to 10. I've just got part of the verse up there, but I'm going to read the verses around it. You see, the candle of hope was lit even before time. And, and Paul says he, he saved us and he called us to a holy life, not because of anything that we've done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given to us in Christ Jesus, and it says there, before the beginning of time. But now has been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour, Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. You see, his grace lives outside of our cause and effect universe. That's why it's in fact grace. That's why it's dependable. That's why it's reliable. That's why it's independent of my or our human actions, our thoughts, our words, our choices, because his grace existed in time past. And his grace was given to us and extended to all of us, independent of us, independent of our sins and our choices. But that grace still needs to be received and accepted. We'll see that shortly. So let's start, let's start the journey of the promises that sat out there in the past in terms of coming to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So that grace of God existed uh, in eternity past. But in Genesis 3.15, we see the candle of hope was lit following the judgment and disastrous aspects of the fall. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. God is speaking to the serpent. But he said there is one in these early pages of the Old Testament there where a promise was given that one would come and would, would crush that serpent's head and would be dealt with. Genesis 12 verse 3, if we were to be hanging them across these ropes here, the candle of hope was lit amongst the promises that were given to Abraham. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I'll make your name great. You will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you I will curse. And then he says, and all people on earth will be blessed through you. You see, particularly the, the, the Israelites and uh, in the, in the Old Testament, they're understanding, they mapped these promises. They knew something special was coming and it goes right back to the early pages of our Bible. Isaiah 7.14, the candle of hope was lit 700 years before Christ even came. Uh, when it says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. These promises from the Old Testament uh, provided hope for the people of that time as they look forward to this one who is going to come and, and in, in some ways, in their limited thinking, was going to actually rescue Israel. But some of them understood it in terms of uh, the world itself. And they look forward to a specific time and, and, and person uh, ahead of them. The nation of Israel was expecting, it was waiting uh, for this hope that would come. But Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared, has appeared. And uh, hope is not wrapped up uh, in a season or it's not wrapped up in a program or a new job 
or a spouse or whatever. Hope is much bigger than that. Hope is wrapped up in a specific person. And Paul here says, the grace of God appeared. So here we are. This is, this is the advent. This is the hope of Christ, uh, the hope of God that appeared. This is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. The birth uh, and life and death and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ are absolutely pivotal to the Christian faith. If this did not exist, then neither is any of our hope in the past or any of our hope in the present or any hope in the future. This is pivotal in terms of the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Luke uh, 2 verses 10 to 12. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid uh, to the shepherds. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Hope came to these frightened shepherds, uh, an old prophet Simeon and prophetess Anna to some travelling, curious, wise men uh, from the east and to this young mother and father. Hope came in the, in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ as a baby. And Simeon realised that, uh, the significance of this hope when he says in Luke 2, 30 to 32, "'For my eyes have seen your salvation, "'which you've prepared in the sight of all nations.'" a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people of Israel. Simeon got it. He got the significance of all this hope past and realised it was going to be finalised in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul continues to write in 2.11 there that the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. To all people. Packer says there is a hope for ruined humanity. Hope of pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus Christ became poor, was born in a stable, so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. Through Jesus' birth, life, death and resurrection, salvation would be available to all people. Doesn't mean they accept it, but it's certainly available. We were doing some, Robin and I were doing some ministry uh, with a, a gospel ministry in the, in the heart of Portland, right in downtown at the Union Gospel uh, Centre there. And it ran a place for the homeless men. And, uh, and we were there in winter and it's freezing, it's icy, it's wet and so on. And what, what the arrangement was uh, that came into the gospel centre, uh, then a meal would be offered, a shower would be offered, a bed would be offered and a gospel message would be presented. But do you know what the staggering thing was? There were those out the front of the gospel centre who refused to go in because of the gospel attached to the, the, uh, the, the rest of the help that was being given to them. You see, the gospel salvation has been made available to all, but not everyone accepts that. Okay, let me walk down towards the end here. Hope future. Titus 2 verse 13, let me skip verse 12. While we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God, check you over here, and Saviour, uh, Jesus Christ. What an encouraging verse. We wait. But this is not a wait in terms of frustration. To get my car registered in Cambodia, I would normally have to go down to the bank and I would sit in a, a little section, I'd get a number and then they would call my number out and uh, then I would take my paperwork and get my car registered. 
On one occasion, I pulled my tag and it came up on the screen and everything like that at 8.30 that morning and they called my number at 2.30. And I just sat in those seats and you've got to learn living in that sort of environment. It's no good letting it get to you and the frustration or getting ticked off. I just had my laptop and just did my work and just waited to my to my, uh, my number was called. That's not this sort of wait. This is, this is an anticipatory wait. This is a wait that's worth waiting for. We wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the, glo- of the glory of our God and Saviour, Jesus Christ. You know what? There is hope at the end of the tunnel. And I have a friend who used to say, yep, just when you thought it was hope at the end of the tunnel, it turned out to be a train coming from the other end. Okay, there is no train coming from the other end. This is the light at the end of the tunnel from past through the present to the future. There is light at the end of the tunnel and it's the appearing of our Lord. Now, I don't have the time or the space or, 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 or this morning in, time, in terms of trying to address this. There is a whole body of doctrine that sits out there and as soon as I state any aspect of it, I'm sure it will create some conversation and discussion afterwards and so on like that. And different churches have different positions on what is going to happen at the end. But the scriptures are clear, we are to wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew says we're to be ready. And that's how we're to live. So what does that actually look like? Well, I've got it as three things. And one of them is in terms, of our, in terms of death. You see, we wait for the Lord's appearing, but in the meantime, many, and have, and will continue to do so until the Lord comes, will pass away. But the hope we have as Christians is for eternity. I was reading the OAC newsletter yesterday, and one of the conversations that uh, was had with a young person was, he said, I hope there is an afterlife. Well, that's the hope with doubt. But I can tell you, over the number of years that I've been around, the difference between going to a funeral of a person with the hope of the gospel to the, a funeral of the person without the gospel is completely different. And sitting amongst a Christian faith, uh, framework is hope. But that's hope that also takes us into the future. Paul says, 2 Corinthians 5.8, we are confident... And I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and home with the Lord. And if you want to go and see people who are ready and waiting for the Lord, just visit RCF and visit PPRV. It's people that are are waiting to be with the Lord. But in terms of this church also, we would hold to uh, the understanding of uh, of the scriptures that sit around this end time, but that the Lord is coming back for the church. And 1 Thessalonians 4.15 says, According to the Lord's word, we will tell you that we who are still alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Look at verse 18, you can't see it up there, but it says in your Bible, let us encourage one another with these words. 
doesn't actually say let us argue one another with these words, let us encourage one another with these words. So we have this hope in terms of the future. And the third aspect comes out of Revelation 21.3. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and he will be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know what? There is no circle of life. It is linear. It has a start and it has a finish according to the scriptures. In fact, Peter says, uh, in keeping with his promise, we look forward to a new heaven and a new earth. You see, the thread of hope starts eternity past. It comes through uh, the promises uh, we see in the Old Testament are fulfilled in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ and they continue into the future. But let me come back to here. Titus 2.11 says, For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright and godly lives in this present life, in this present age. He's talking directly to the present. Notice the grace of God. It's the grace of God that has appeared, the grace of God from eternity past is the one that teaches and trains. That's the one we have access to. Dealing with our old self, dealing with our new self. This is probably the space where we wrestle most with hope. I think we can get that and I think we can eagerly look forward to that. But it's dealing with the here and now, the mess of our own and others' lives. And you may sit here this morning and the last word that comes to your mind is hope. I know some of your stories and your situations and some of it has been pretty grim and dark and confusing and distressing and here I am up the front talking about hope winding us up as it were for Christmas not at all it's not what I've got to say at all it's about what God's got to say about it look at this statement by Simon Sinek it's not Sinek as in C-Y-N-I-C S-I-N-E-K the bad news is we are our own worst enemies And I'm thinking, yep, you've absolutely nailed it there, Simon. The good news is we are our own best hope. Well, that's a worry, isn't it? Are we our own best hope? How are we going in life? I mean, if we were to be honest with ourselves, we aren't our own best hope. I don't even trust myself. I don't trust my feelings. I don't trust my thinking because I'm part of the fall. I said to you before, hope is about promises and it's about a person. The same grace of God that appeared in the person of Jesus Christ is the one who's working in our lives, teaching and training us to say no and to live the life that he wants us to be able to live. I asked a friend this week who'd been through more than enough trials and grief and heartache, how do you find hope in the midst of it all? Nothing like a little survey out there uh, to to get some sort of response. He says he actually has a set playlist that is a number of songs that sit on on his Spotify and songs that speak to his soul. And just this week he'd gone to that playlist and two songs this week reminded him of the foundation of our faith, promises and a person. Look at these songs. 
The first one is, uh, the song is, It is finished by the Gaithers. Let me read the verse and chorus. Yet in my heart the battle was still raging. Not all prisoners of war have come home. They were battlefields of my own making. I didn't know that the war had been won. Then I heard that the king of all ages had won all the battles for me. And the victory was mine for the claiming. And now praise his name, I am free. There is so much theology embedded even in those uh, those simple words. You see, the grace of God was training and teaching my friend's heart, this is what it means to live godly. This is what it means to trust me. I think we think living godly means the halo type thing and it's our behaviour. But it's not, it's deeper than that. And then the second song was mercy me, even if. I know you're able and I know you can. Save through the fire with your mighty hand. But even if you don't, this is the guys in Daniel there, book of Daniel going through the fire. But even if you don't rescue, my hope is in you alone. I know the sorrow and I know the hurt would all go away if you just said the word. But even if you don't, my hope is in you alone. And he said, while one part of him wanted to spiral into grief and anger and disappointment, he allowed the grace of God to minister to him and to teach him that firstly, God's promises still stand. And secondly, God's presence is with him and the hope is in him. The bottom line is really, it's all about where our hope is anchored, particularly for those living now in the present. Simon Sinek says it's anchored in ourselves. Well, what a disappointment. As Christians, it's anchored in a faithful, trustworthy God who has given us the resources we need just for today. Hebrews 9.18 says, God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it's impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul and it's firm and secure. It enters into the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus entered on our behalf. At the death of Jesus and that, and that curtain was torn, uh, the writer of Hebrews is referring to there, the significance of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is that our, our hope is anchored in him. And it's not an anchor just for our body, not an anchor for our mind, not an anchor for our feelings. It's an anchor for our soul because any of you that have journeyed any of the heartache and grief of life, we know that it needs to be anchored in something far more than just what's around about us and what's obvious. It's anchored in our soul. It's anchored to the promises of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I guess the question that has to be asked, where is your hope anchored? Because if it's anchored on anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ, then it's like those Facebook videos of those large ships that hit these massive storms and they end up being broadsided and I've seen one of them, a big oil tanker, just broke in half. Many of you, and maybe amongst our, our, our older folk, will know, as I start singing, if I start saying it, you will know, you will start singing it in your head. Will your anchor hold? 
in the storms of life? Will the clouds unfold their wings of strife when the strong tides lift and the cable strain? Will your anchor drift or fern remain? My friend has anchored his life on the promises and the person of Christ and he's been able to face these storms head on. We have an anchor that keeps our soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, fastened to the rock which cannot move, grounded firm and deep in the Saviour's love. You see, once our anchor is secure, then tell you what hope does. Hope gives us purpose. It builds resilience. It transforms us. It establishes our identity. It propels us forward into the future with anticipation. Notice every one of those words is what our culture is trying to address. Purpose, resilience, transformation, identity, but it's found in a person. Look across the panorama, as it were, from Genesis through to Revelation, from the past, the present to the future, and we find that the thread of hope is unbroken. It's weaving a tapestry that invites us to trust in the God who is faithful to his promises. In every chapter and every verse, hope calls us to look beyond our present circumstances and fix our sight on the ultimate fulfilment of God's redemptive plan, a future where hope is no longer a longing, but a reality. Titus 2, 11 and 13, just a little passage there. It's not only a specific uh, biblical passage, but its theme captures the heartbeat of the Christian faith. Hope looks back to the redemptive acts of God and the provision of salvation. Hope engages with the transformative work of Christ in our lives through the Holy Spirit. That's our sanctification. And hope eagerly anticipates the fulfilment of God's promises in the glorious future. That's our glorification. And this hope allows us to find comfort and confidence even in the midst of all the difficulties. Trusting in God's sovereignty and the ultimate fulfilment of his plans because he is the one who can be trusted. Final point, as Christians, our hope isn't tied into our present circumstances, it should be on the screen, and the fluctuating conditions of our lives because we are anchored in the unchanging promises of God and the person of Jesus Christ. Our hope is strengthened by the past and is confident for the future. Do you have that hope? Do you have that hope? It's a hope that's grounded in reality. And as Christians, we seek to live that out um, before the world we live in. Let me pray. At the centre of history is a person. And as we approach this Christmas season, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ to earth, it's the pivot on which history, it's the hinge on which history pivots. It is so significant. And Lord, help us to stand back and see the panorama of your dealings with us. Thank you for that grace that was extended even before time. And that just gives us such confidence and assurance now. But thank you for a hope that we wait eagerly for. There is light at the end of the tunnel, but you've got it and you've got us in your hands as well. And I pray that that may encourage us this morning. And Lord, if there are people here this morning that do not have that hope, 
They do not understand the significance of what it means to have their soul anchored in something secure. Well, may they follow that up uh, with someone who they know and trust and say, tell me about that hope. Because Peter says we've got to be ready to give an answer for the hope that's within us. So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.